0: Well, uh, in every age and every culture, down through history, the overwhelming majority of people have believed in God. Even in Australia, where these days it's less common than it used to be, most people believe that God exists somewhere between 60 and 70 percent, depending which survey you look at. But what's God like? You'll get a dozen different opinions if you ask people. Uh, We'll be considering that question over the next eight weeks. What's God like? Uh, How can we know who's right in terms of people's different opinions? Well, ultimately, the answer comes down to we need to listen to what God himself says. Uh, The good news is the Bible tells us that our creator and sustainer and judge is not only a force, or he's not a force or an influence. He's not watching us from a distance like the old Bette Midler song. He's actually spoken to us. He's bridged the gap between Creator and creature. He's told us what He likes and what He requires of us. He's personal, relational. He knows and can be known. And so that's where we're going to begin our study of what God is like, the fact that God speaks. Because if that's not true, then we can't know anything about God. God speaks. The question is, are you listening? Uh, We're going to begin by looking at Psalm 19. It's a poem of two halves. I hope you've got it in front of you. Uh, The first half describes how God speaks in creation. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. People from all sorts of cultures and backgrounds and languages and locations look at creation and it speaks to them about God. We see clues about God from what He's made. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20 puts it like this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And Psalm 19 speaks, uh, uh, says that it's as if creation itself is speaking the words about God. So back in verse 2, um, it's a message that's communicated all the time, day or night. Uh, it doesn't stop transmission outside business hours. Verse 3 describes uh, how it still communicates whatever human language we happen to understand. So verse 3 says there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. This is a message that is greater than human language. Verse 4 tells us it's a message that can be received wherever we are. It says their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. On mountaintops, outer space, whether we're on the, on the bottom of the ocean, at the North Pole or the South Pole, creation speaks of its creator. We look at the enormity of space. We see millions of stars that stretch on for thousands of light years. I'm sure you've done that out in the country, away from the city lights. And we begin to understand a little bit about God's power. Perhaps we catch a glimpse of eternity. The fact that something is millions of uh, thousands of light years away. A glimpse of what it means for God to have always existed. But it's not just the heavens that speak to us of God. There's all sorts of evidences of creation that God exists. Uh, Scientists measure the universe and they tell us that it's expanding. And it's all began from a single point. It's expanding away from a single point. And so we wonder, if that's how the universe began as a single point, who or what was before that single point? Who began the universe? Uh, The geneticist Francis Collins, uh, in his book The Language of God, says, I can't imagine how the universe could have created itself. And the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. Uh, Or here's another piece of evidence. Uh, The universe is so finely tuned uh, that makes life possible. Uh, There are a hundred different variables that are set exactly right so that we can live the size of the sun, the distance of the earth from the sun. Any closer we'd burn, any further away we'd freeze. Uh, Water would become a vapour or ice rather than liquid. Uh, The place of our solar system in the Milky Way uh, protects us from deadly radiation at somewhere different. Uh, Francis Collins again says, uh, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, constants about the strong and weak nuclear force, etc, that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, matter would not have been able to coalesce or come together. There would have been no galaxy, stars, planets or people. And there's lots of evidence, even in creation, uh, for design rather than chance. Uh, The human brain, the eye, flowers, bacteria, uh, all around us we can see uh, the intelligence of God's design. There's beauty in creation uh, that we can recognise and appreciate just the way God enjoyed his creation. And as we look at ourselves, the very fact that we can appreciate beauty whether it's in music or art or nature or science or the fact that we can feel love or that we have an inbuilt sense of justice, of right and wrong, even when it doesn't benefit us. All of these things point us to the fact that God made us. The psalmist says the heaven and everything else God's made declare his glory. But it's not enough. People see creation and they come to all sorts of different conclusions about what God's nature is. Uh, The communication that creation gives us, it's not specific. It's not intelligent. It's not communicating in a personal way. Creation doesn't tell us how we can know our Creator. And that's what we learn about in the second half of Psalm 19. Uh, It describes another way that God speaks to us uh, in his written word. Uh, So have a look from verse 7. From verse 7 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. First half of the psalm, God speaks to everybody. But in the second half of the psalm, we see how God chose a group of people out of all humanity and he spoke to them to their leaders and prophets and then they wrote down the words so that they could be preserved and collected and passed on. And the psalmist says that those words are perfect because they come from the perfect God. They give life because God himself is the source of life. They're words that are trustworthy because they come from the one who is infinitely trustworthy. They're words that tell us how to live, Uh, like an instruction manual, or a map, or maybe like a torch. But there are also words that are like a mirror that points out our faults, our blemishes, our sin, our rebellion, our disobedience. From verse 11, you can see the right way to respond to those words from God. Verse 11 says, By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. God speaks through his written word. He warns you. And so the right response is to listen and and, and to repent and to ask forgiveness. And God is here promising that he'll declare you innocent and blameless. So this psalm, we've got two types of speaking. One goes out to everybody, verses 1 to 6. Sometimes it's called general revelation. And yet it's deficient. It's not enough to give life, to to know God. But then we see another type of speaking, verses 7 to 13, that goes to those who have ears to hear. It's called special revelation. And it's described as precious and life-giving. And then verse 14, the psalm finishes with a request. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's the desire of someone who has heard God speak and who wants his life to conform to those words, a life of speaking and thinking in ways that please God. It's a very personal uh, type of uh, expression, isn't it? In a way, we don't see in the first half of the psalm. Uh, it finishes, my rock, my redeemer, this this man, this person knows God personally. At the first half of the psalm, we, we see a, a contrast, even down to the name of God that's used. Uh, the first half of the psalm, he's just referred to as God. The, the Hebrew word is El, which is just a, a general sort of word for any God. But from verse 7 on, again and again, we get this phrase, the Lord, in capitals, That translates the Hebrew word Jehovah or Yahweh. And that's God's personal name, the name he reveals to his family. It's like the President of the United States. Everyone else has to call him Mr. President, but his family get to call him Dad or by his first name. But as good as it was for God to speak through his law, even that's only a beginning. It's a shadow of the real thing. uh, Because God is going to speak a third way. uh, More clear, more personal, and in a final sort of way. Uh, Flip over to Hebrews chapter 1, if you've got that. uh, sort of up towards the back of your Bible. We're going to look at the first chapter in a bit, very quickly. Mostly focusing on the first paragraph. Uh, So listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Do you see the contrast in the two halves of that paragraph? Previously, God spoke to our forefathers, our ancestors, in all sorts of different ways. If you read your Old Testament, if you read Exodus, like Hilsa was talking about, God spoke to his leaders, to, to his prophets, sometimes in dreams, sometimes with an audible voice. One time God made uh, spoke by making a hand appear and write on a wall, the first graffiti artist in the history of the world. Another time, he made a donkey speak a message. He would grab a prophet and say, here's a message for my people. With Moses on the mountain, God gave him Israel's law written on slabs of stone, the Ten Commandments, apparently hand-delivered by an angel. Now, now All of those examples from the Old Testament must have been amazing. But here's the point that the writer to the Hebrews makes. Those are nothing. They're boring. They're outdated and superseded compared to what God's done in these last days. Peter, you need to be quiet. Everyone's trying to listen, okay? In these last days, God's spoken to us in his son. He goes on to describe him. He's the one who inherits all things. The one through whom God made the universe. Uh, the instrument that carved out creation. The sun is the word that, command, that, that God commanded everything into being by speaking. But he not only created everything, verse 3 says he sustains everything by his powerful word. Just think about that. Everything in this world, everything in this universe continues to function, continues to exist because the sun speaks to it sun, keep burning gravity, keep working heart, keep beating lungs, keep breathing and one day Jesus will stop commanding everything to continue and it will end everything will end this is the one God has spoken to you through he sent him to earth 100% human like us He emptied himself, he limited himself from what he used to be and he experienced everything we do. But still the exact representation of God. And so as a human when you looked at Jesus you were looking at God himself. People say I'm a lot like my dad. They say on the phone I sound like him, I even laugh a little bit like him. But that's nothing compared to Jesus and his Father. You want to know what God's like? Then the Bible says, look at Jesus. Uh, That's what God's like. Uh, And there are two pictures uh, for what that's like in verse 3. Firstly, it says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Uh, Which means that if God's the sun, then Jesus is like the light rays that shine out from the sun. You know what it's like when you, if you try and look at the sun with your bare eyes, uh, you can't look directly at it. But if you cover it with your hand, but if you cover it with your hand, you can still see the radiance that comes from around the sun. Uh, the brilliance of the sun gets dialed back a bit so that we can see it. That's what Jesus is compared to the Father who is the Son. Uh, Jesus is the invisible God who's been made visible. Uh, The second picture is in verse 3 as well. Uh, It says he's the exact representation of God's being. Uh, The Greek word for that is character, which we sort of get our word character from. Uh, But the word's used for the shape of a coin that's been stamped out of the die. You've got the die that stamps the image onto the coin and that image is the character. And that's Jesus. Uh, he is the, uh, the image of God. Not, not in terms of his physical appearance but in terms of his nature and qualities. Uh, to top it all off, verse 3 goes on to say, After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This incredibly great one, the one who's the greatest human of all time, but at the same time, God Himself willingly died as a sacrifice for you and for me to bring us forgiveness and to bring us to God. And then He went into heaven to rule beside His Father and He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. He's not only the source of creation and its heir and its sustainer and its restorer he's its climax and its goal and its king. That's who's speaking to you. That's who's speaking to you. So how special do angels and dreams and heavenly hands riding on walls seem now? So if that's Who's speaking to you? What what do you do with that sort of message? Well, it's pretty obvious, I think, isn't it? If someone like that's speaking to you, you need to make sure you listen. You need to make sure you're listening. And that's just what it says in Hebrews as it moves through. We get to the application at chapter 2, verse 1. The rest of chapter 1 is comparing Jesus to angels and how much greater Jesus is. And finally we come to the application in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, it's always good if you're reading the Bible, when you come to a therefore, that's a good point to stop and say, okay, what's the logical application of that? Therefore, we must pay more careful attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. Jesus the Son is telling you what God is like and what he wants. He's providing purification for your sin. He's speaking salvation to you. So listen to him. Are you listening? Why do we need to listen? Because if you don't, we'll drift away. Drifting, slow, steady. Drifting is about taking your eyes off Jesus and and listening to other voices instead. And, And little by little, his voice becomes quieter his opinion matters less. Other voices become louder and more relevant. It probably won't be a conscious decision for you to turn away from Jesus, to drift away from him, and yet one day you'll look around for him and he won't be there because you've drifted. Almost certainly, I hope it's not true, but statistically a group of Christians this size Five years down the track, some of you will have drifted away. I hope it's not the case. So be warned. God wants to keep us by warning us like this. Don't drift away. Keep listening to Him. Now, we're not going to hear His voice audibly, almost certainly, but we need to keep listening to His Word that He's given us to read and His Spirit who lives within us His Word and His Spirit. Pay more careful attention to his word. Meditate on it. Don't read quickly like you're reading a newspaper. Slow down. Read a sentence and stop. Pay more careful attention. Download an audio Bible. Listen to it when you're driving or exercising or gardening. Pay more careful attention. Pick up a different translation so you'll notice things in a fresh way. Pay more careful attention. Give Jesus the best part of your day rather than the dregs when you're fresh. Pay more careful attention. Read with this prayer always in your mind. What are you saying to me, Jesus? What command to obey? What sin to avoid? What can I praise you for? And notice it's a group task. This is not an individual assignment. It's group work. We must pay more careful attention. So we don't drift away. It's about helping each other to listen to Jesus and to point each other to him, to those who know him and those who don't yet know him. Do you notice how verse 2 continues? For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The contrast continues. Did you notice the comparison? Ignoring the Old Testament message delivered by angels brought punishment, God's judgment. How much more, if we ignore the message of God's Son, will we be punished? Your friends, who are ignoring Jesus at the moment, won't escape his punishment. They need to listen to him. I want to finish with a practical challenge uh, many of our church activities. The, the calendar's sort of been messed up a bit this year, but uh, this is the opportunity for you guys to step up individually, uh, take some responsibility to help people pay more careful attention. Uh, so, for the rest of the year, I, I'd love this to be a target that you set yourself for one good friend to pray for, one significant conversation each week, one person to disciple. Firstly, pick a non-Christian friend you want to meet Jesus. Write their name down. Make make yourself accountable to someone. Share it with your home group. I'm I'm praying for such and such a person. Uh, Look for opportunities to introduce them to your Christian friends. Invite them to dinner. Talk about Jesus with them. Invite them to church. Uh, Secondly, aim to have one significant conversation with a Christian brother or sister each week. After church is a great time, but maybe it's some making a phone call during the week. Ask what you can pray for them. Ask what they're struggling with. Ask what's giving them joy in life. It might be a spiritual conversation, they're good, but even something that gets below the surface can be encouraging and can build you up and them. One good friend to pray for, one significant conversation, finally one person to disciple. Uh, Begin to pray that God would show you someone you could meet regularly with to read the Bible, to pray, maybe work through a good Christian book, a chapter at a time. Someone to encourage and someone you can be encouraged by, where you can be transparent and honest. Wouldn't it be great if we were each in some sort of relationship like that? Uh, Maybe it's someone younger or the same age or even older. You might meet weekly or fortnightly or just whenever you can. But the goal is to help each other to pay more careful attention to Jesus. God has spoken by his Son. Are you listening? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to hear your Son, to pay attention to him, because in him we find life. Amen.